Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Free Association, which is a series here on Unsafe Space where we talk to interesting people who can provide an important perspective on relevant political, cultural, or philosophical issues. Today, I'll be speaking with Limpida. Limpida is a 24-year-old detransitioned man who writes a substack about his experiences with and thoughts on transgenderism. You can find his written work at strigoi.substack.com. That's S-T-R-I-G-O-I. And you can find him on Twitter at AmericanDog98. Before we get started, please don't uh, forget to support Unsafe Space by going to unsafespace.com. Uh, you can buy merch. You can support the show financially there with cryptocurrency or, or throwaway fiat or whatever you want. Uh, you can share the content with a friend, or you can just make sure you're subscribed on your favorite platform. We are on YouTube, Utreon, Odyssey, Rumble, as where as well as uh, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So be sure you're subscribed there. Thank you in advance for doing that. And now, here's my conversation with Limpida. Well, Limpida, welcome to Unsafe Space. Uh, thanks for having me. Hopefully, uh, during the course of our discussion, we'll get into some heady topics like disassociative uh, identity disorder, postmodernism, feminism, autogynophilia, transgenderism, all that kind of fun stuff. But it's kind of a daunting list of complicated topics a little bit. So I thought maybe the best way to start uh, would be for you to just tell us a little bit about your story, because um, I don't think uh, I don't think people who were not in that era really understand what it was like to to grow up especially in the tumblr world and to kind of see um to, to have some of the influences that you had and then to, to see the effects on you so why don't you just start with that like where are you from how are you you know what was your family life like when you were when you were young sure um so i grew up in new york city i grew up in queens um I was super sheltered because city life is not exactly uh, conducive to raising a child. Um, so there's really only kinds of kind of two parents in uh, in cities like that. It's either you're like super liberal, you do whatever you want, you kind of roam around on your own, which has its own pitfalls because all kinds of stuff could happen, or uh, you know your parents recognize that it's not the best kind of environment for a kid and tried to protect you from all that. And my parents really fell into the um, second category. I didn't really go anywhere without them. Um, and, uh, you know, I left, I left New York um, when I was like 13. I went to Orthodox school pretty much my entire time there. Um, so it was, it was like an upper middle class kind of, living uh we started lower and then moved up um as i got close to the eighth grade um i was uh autistic and didn't know it so i was kind of on the bottom rung of male hierarchy where i was and that transferred over to high school too um and i was i was kind of effeminate i wasn't really that good at sports i was really sensitive to all kinds of sensory things social things and really awkward so it wasn't uh wasn't great got bullied a lot etc um we moved to uh new england i'd prefer not to say where just because I, I still live there but sure. um moved to a to a 
an upper class suburb in um in New England and uh I, I went to a public high school that was super ritzy. And uh you know uh, while I was there, you know, I didn't have many friends going into it. I didn't know anybody. It was new for me. And I uh in uh sophomore year of high school, I met this girl that would end up being my girlfriend for about seven years or so. Um, and she was, she introduced me to Tumblr. I got, I got into it, um, at her behest. I, I sort of, uh, early on, I sort of split some of my time online between some, you know, just random meme pages like meme base or I can has cheeseburger or whatever, just cause I, w- I was doing that already as a, as a kid. I like funny cats and stuff. It was it was cute. Sure, I um, that site. I can has cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was a really light light hearted kind. Of, and uh, a couple of uh, male friends of mine me to four chan, and I split my time between you know that that kind of I can has cheeseburger thing four chan and then uh, with with this girlfriend of mine uh, Tumblr, and eventually. Um, you know, Tumblr very early on was was a super, you know, feminist place, and I was uh, becoming more aware of like social justice type things, and and I had already been fairly liberal. My family was 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 fairly liberal. My mom was had you know identified herself as a feminist for a while growing up, so I already had that kind of inclination, and. Um, you know, there was all kinds of discussions in 2011 or so. Uh, 2012 was when I, when I, well, 2011 was when I, I got into high school. Um, and there were discussions about like the rape crisis on campus and like man spreading and mansplaining and that kind of thing. And at first I thought some of that stuff was a little bit ridiculous, but uh, I could see that it was really affecting some of the girls uh, in my life, including my girlfriend. And I could also see how, you know, 4 chaners and 4chan culture in general was, was pretty misogynistic, pretty uh, not, you know, not nice to women. And I liked women. Um, and I didn't really want to hurt women's feelings. Um, I was, I was, I tried to be like cognizant of that at all times. And um, so I, I get into the Tumblr stuff, and and it gets more and more radical over time. So it moves from your garden variety like Jezebel, Mother Jones type feminism to uh, like uh, you know gender identity stuff, getting really postmodern with it. Very, you know, what what they call like success, successor ideology type stuff, leftism and, and postmodern stuff. Can, can yeah. we pause for a sec? Because this, I just want to be clear to people. Uh, this wasn't like, because I, I don't even know how many people really knew what Tumblr was like. I have, I actually w- had a girlfriend at the time who was in her mid twenties and was on Tumblr, so I was exposed to it. And I saw that we're not talking about. You're not going to a website with like threads that say, "Let's talk about this feminist topic." These are, these are. Um, it's there's a lot of fandom around specific pop culture stuff and that's where these conversations are happening is that correct oh yes absolutely um there were there were theoretical threads and there still are but it was 
more like uh, just a, a little extra spice to justify whatever it was that you were railing about at the time. So it was a lot of conversation about like feminist tro- or anti-feminist tropes and like Doctor Who or in Sherlock or in uh, video games and that kind of thing. Okay, so they're responding. These are these are are you would say are they mostly teenagers in early twenties? Like, what's the demographic here on Tumblr? Yeah, it, it was teenagers in early twenties. Um, the way that I that the way that I uh, think about it, looking back, and obviously I can't really tell with any degree of certainty, but it seemed like it was a lot of teenagers that were in the fandoms and a lot of grad students that were still in the fandoms, but were in school too. And they were receiving this kind of, uh, you know, ideological education and they were sort of mute and they like, they were taking it wholesale and even just like, you know, injecting it intravenously is, is already bad, but they were also mutating it through the pop culture filters. And, and spreading it to a bunch of teens online. So they were armed. I just, so they're kind of like armed with these new tools, philosophical tools, which may be their own kinds of poison. And then they're trying to apply them sometimes clumsily to stuff like, I mean, some of the stuff you list in some of your writing is like kids shows like Voltron, uh, like, Steven Universe, which I've never heard of, The Amazing World of uh, Gumball. But, like, these are not – they're not applying these even to adult works sometimes. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing it to all kinds of, all kinds of things. There were, adult, there were adult works, but it okay. skewed um, – it skewed super young a lot of the shows that they were watching. Uh, like, a lot of teen shows, like uh, – I'm trying to remember what was popular at the time for for teens. Well, there's a famous article about Glee as one of the shows that oh, yeah. happened in. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big big Glee presence there. Not really my my you know generate not really my like circles cup of tea, but there were a few that liked it. There were people really into Supernatural. There were people really into Hamilton, that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So so let's so you're you're in high school. You're you know, I don't want to downplay it, but it's uh, it's not wholly unheard of to have an awkward, slightly on the spectrum kid who doesn't fit in in high school like that's and gets picked on like that does happen. Right. Um, yeah. it's, it's you're not alone, but there's you're that kind of a kid, which I think we all uh, some of us experience directly a little bit. And some of us at least know people like that. So it's kind of a normal, normal kid you're you're drawn into spending time on Tumblr just because that's where your girlfriend is. And I assume that sexual access is part of the lore of keeping your girlfriend happy. She wants to be talking about stuff on Tumblr and have you there. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's part okay. of it. <laughs> all right. So let's, so, all right, I'll, I'll stop with my, my uh, tangent and let's get back to your story. So here you are on Tumblr. You've got the stuff, you know, people talking about man spreading and other, they're problematizing things. Now what? Um, so now I'm, uh, you know, I there was a lot of built up issues from from my time in New York. Um, it really wasn't a, a great place to grow up, but I also felt like I wasn't really being um, challenged that much in school. I, I kind of got a lot of good grades without really having to do much work. I never really had to study or anything. 
-hmm. And um, coming up on junior year, I start, you know, doing AP classes. And that's really when it starts to pick up. I have to study for the first time. I have to like, you know, think about things proactively for the first time. And uh, and I and my first semester with these AP classes, I don't do well. I, I get like a C minus C plus, um, which is normal. Which for for the jump from normal high school classes to AP, that that tends to happen to everybody. Mm-hmm. And and pretty much everybody in my class got below a B um, that first semester. And um, my parents did not like that at all. They were really furious with me um, that I didn't do well. And I and I tried to explain to them, listen, the difficulty curve is a lot higher. It's it's a lot more intense. There's a lot more reading. I, you know, I, I haven't been in, in that before. And, you know, they accept it, but they, they tell me like, okay, you have to, but you have to get an a. Like you do have to, by the end of this, you have to get an A, you have to have a good GPA. Otherwise you're not going to get into school. Right. Um, and you know, I, I, I do my best, but it's, it's inconsistent, right? Cause it's, it's, it is a higher difficulty level. There is more expected of me. And then I also got sports on top of that and, and trying to pick a college, which I felt totally aimless about. I, I didn't really know you know, I had, I had, I wanted to go to one school in particular, but that was just because of the culture, really. Um, I wanted to go to Bard College, but I didn't know like what I was going to do with my life. I didn't, you know, the future seemed very uh, shaky because um, I was one of these people that was always looking at like what was going on in the news and, and whatnot. I was one of those kids where like everything coming out was just really debilitatingly uh or demoralizing i guess it was it was super demoralizing because i was hearing like okay well the income gap is is growing student debt's growing um it seems like this my- is post depression this is post the recession of 2008 and nine as well so you weren't it wasn't a great economy to be looking at this stuff in either not at all not at all yeah. and um and and i felt like there was a there was a, a pretty good chance that I was not going to secure the same uh, level of comfort that my, that my mom had achieved. Um, and she got lucky during the recession too. She didn't get laid off. She got uh, promoted because everyone around her got laid off. So, you know, I felt like that wasn't going to be me, <laughs> like, you know? Right. Um, and I was really interested in history and especially history that was that was my main thing and you know i knew that with history there's not really many high paying jobs involved with that and at that point i had kind of given up on trying to get a high paying job but there was still this hope that maybe i would uh somebody would like kick me into into wanting to make some money um but i don't know uh it, it didn't work out and so it was that problem and then puberty hit too and that was a huge issue for me. Um, I was not adjusting well to it at all. I, I was struggling to like recognize myself in the mirror. Um, and, and I was really deeply uncomfortable with, with my body, um, just because of how I had been picked on before and, and everything like that. Right. And, um, you know, then with this, with this feminism stuff coming from Tumblr and, and all this stuff about like, you know, Oh men, it, the patriarchy does everything. Um, men are, you know, scum, kill all men, you know, men rape all the time, that kind of, that kind of thing. And, and really not wanting to be involved in that at all. 
Um, and I, I blamed myself a lot for things that were not my fault. And, and I made mountains out of molehills and kind of ignored any real problems that were going on in my life in favor of these sort of ideological specters because they were how I were interpreting the world. It was causing a lot of strife in, in my personal relationships. I lost a lot of friends. I, I, uh, I, I kind of only have a couple that still talk to me. Um, and I was very, I was spending a lot of time with, with this girlfriend of mine, like hours and yep. hours we were talking all the time. Uh, we were barely sleeping. We were talking so much. And, um, we sort of, uh, borrowed aspects of our personalities from each other and, and sort of lost ourselves within each other. And, um, by the time I was 15, 16, started identifying as non-binary because I was like, okay, well, this is my ticket out of being, you know, a patriarch, you know, this is me fighting the patriarchy. This is me being an ally or whatever. Um, the only way hold on can we can we pause on that for just a minute that's a leap that's a leap right um so i guess let's first let's first talk about you know you talked about there's a lot of feminism on on tumblr um and it sound from what you describe in your tumbling into transactivism article um i'm old i printed i printed it out that's how old i am uh (laughs) (laughs) but from, from what you from what you describe in here um I, I'm not trying to put words into your mouth, but I, I do want you to elaborate this on this a little bit. To me, as a you know someone who wasn't immersed in this environment, it sounds like it's an incubator for female histrionics. Very much so. It, it very much was. Yeah. Um, there were I, there are a lot of things in that article I described that I still can barely believe that happened. You know, but it was a lot of girls that were trying to like. Um, build themselves up into something that they weren't. It was a lot of girls that had maybe experienced something bad, but they blew it the hell up and then like interpreted what happened through these ideological lenses. Um, There were a lot of girls that were just like making stuff up in general um, for, for attention. Um, And, you know, boys were doing that too on 4chan and, and on, on other sites. But I like, I was already like primed to see, okay, well, this is bullshit. This is like, you know, you're lying. This is like toxic as hell. This community is, is not exactly like uplifting and supportive. And the, and the, the girls on Tumblr seemed to be more uplifting, seemed to be more supportive, but really they were just enabling each other. Um, and telling each other that, oh, you know, you can you can do anything and you'll be, you know, no one can tell you any different. You can be yourself. You can define yourself however you want. And, and you don't have to take anything from anybody. And if somebody tells you that what you're doing is potentially bad for other people or bad for yourself, then, you know, they're just a toxic person. You should cut them out of your life and that kind of thing. So it was a lot more insidious. Yeah. And I wasn't. I was going to say, male toxicity tends to be much more direct and in your face, and female toxicity tends to be much more subtle and insidious and manipulative. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so you've got. So this is happening, and I just. I'm I'm kind of curious, just based on what I've, uh, I I know of other people. Did you did you grow up in an environment in which, um 
you were held responsible for the the emotional well-being of females around you yeah yeah um i'd prefer not to go into detail about that because i don't want to yeah i have i have a good relationship with my family now so i don't um you know want to dwell on that too much publicly but yeah i, I was in, in college okay, so, really so, up, so yeah all right so you end up on tumblr and you get when you're on 4chan you can see the guys for what they are like okay this is toxic you're a guy you can see the toxicity but you're on tumblr and it it, the toxicity of it eludes you a little bit and you already have a little bit of a white knight psychology because you want to make sure you're more you i assume you're uncomfortable with female upset at this point and so you're wanting things to be you're wanting to soothe soothe people very much so yeah okay so then you decide you're non-binary is this a decision that's like gee, I, I don't really feel masculine, or is this a decision that's like, if I attach this label, I'll show that I'm more of an ally? Or was there elements of both of that in there? It was elements of both, but it was more of a personal thing. It was more of a, okay. I don't feel masculine, I feel more effeminate. Um, and I was, you know, my girlfriend was was like giving me um, little little gifts, like flower crowns and my hair and stuff. And uh, I liked that stuff. And I thought that that meant that you know, inside of me, some part was a girl. So, right. Okay. And was your, in retrospect, was your conception of masculinity at the time healthy or, or was it different than what you now think masculinity is? It was, it was very unhealthy. It was very unhealthy. I didn't um, even really think about masculinity until I came into contact with the uh, Tumblrized version of it. Um, so I thought, I thought, I just thought like men were men, women were women. I didn't think beyond that until I was told, well, everything men do is a sign of patriarchy and, and toxicity. Okay. So. All right. So, you, so, and, and obviously you, you identify with some stuff that you're like, okay, well this, this is feminine or maybe this isn't the most masculine thing. Therefore, maybe I'm really non-binary, which is kind of like uh i don't know what I, I assume it's kind of like i don't really know i'm gonna call myself non-binary i'm in between is that yeah yeah i i i very much wanted to be in that in between i i, f I floated through a couple different labels so i just sort of collapsed it all under non-binary i called myself gender fluid at one point a gender at another one like just not having one um, right. then I was a demi girl, which is, I'm a girl most of the time. And then a boy sometimes. And then, uh, by the time I was 17, I had, I think I was 17. I, I decided I was just a full blown woman and, and didn't really dwell on it beyond that. How did your girlfriend, uh, react to this as it was happening? She was enthusiastic about it. She was enthusiastic about it because, um, earlier in the relationship, before I had decided that I was a woman, she, uh, was living, she, she had socially transitioned in some parts of her life to live as a man. She had cut her hair. She had changed her name. Um, she was wearing like all male clothes. She wore a, a chest binder, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and she spent some time in a hospital, um, because she was unwell. She had, she had some issues with eating disorder she was also autistic she that, that kind of thing 
And I think after about a year, maybe maybe a year and a half, uh, she gave that up and she was like, well, I'm not non-binary. I think I'm just a, a lesbian, right? But she didn't want to break up with me. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, I don't want to break up with you, but I'm a lesbian. There's not a lot of options at that point, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I was identifying as non-binary at that point. So she justified it to herself that way. And I justified it to myself that way. And so things kind of just kept going. Um, but it's pretty clear to me now that she wasn't a lesbian. Um, I, I can't say that with 100% certainty, because obviously I can't get into everybody's head. But she, I mean, we were together eight years, so, you know. Well, she's a lesbian who likes dick. <laughs> Not to be crass, but like, I mean, I don't know. I, and basically, I've, uh, and, I've and met she, someone like that, so it's, it's okay. Uh, who sounds actually similarly dysfunctional. So I, I just so from her perspective, though, when you talk about this in your your Substack post, from the female perspective, there's so if your if your world is if Tumblr is a big part of your your social interaction and a big part of your world, um, if you're male. Uh, you are the subject of ridicule and derision and really not treated super well. Um, but if you're anything else, you're pretty okay. And so for it and or including including I would assume trans man. Um, so for her to transition from uh, woman to trans man and then decide she's a woman again but a lesbian, She's not dealing with a lot of uh, backlash for that in the community, I assume. Yeah, yeah. She she didn't really. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of backlash for that. Whereas if I decided again that I would, if I had desisted and decided I was a man again, it pro- it wouldn't have gone as well. Um, but of course, the mental trap meant that I I wasn't able to desist myself anyway. So right. Right. Okay. So, so she says I'm a lesbian, and is that what's the impetus for you to decide I'm not buying I'm not non-binary anymore or asexual or gender fluid. I'm 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 a woman. Um, I think it was just I think it was a combination of things. Um, one being that uh, I had totally given up on masculinity altogether. I I hated everything about it and I had begun to believe that um, testosterone was, was actively killing me. Like, like I actually thought that it was, yeah. Um, And that's because of, of some posts from, from the trans community talking about, talking about this. I mean, they didn't explain like specific symptoms or anything, but I was in a state of very high panic constantly. And uh, you know, and, and a lot of that was, was because I would look down and I would see like, I'm, you know, I'm hairy or I smell or, or fats in the wrong or, or quote unquote wrong place. And, and of course I have male genitalia and, and, and it felt strange to sort of, you know, think I was the, like, I didn't want to admit to myself I was a man because right. so much of, one of the only solid relationships that I had 
rested on the idea that I wasn't one. And so I sort of wanted to like purge all of that away. And not only that, but there were posts about like, oh, well, you know, um, HRT is life-saving. And if you're, if you're suicidal or, or if you're going through mm. like this list of mental health symptoms that are just sort of, you know, autism for the most part, um, right. then you're trans and you need, you need to get these procedures done. So, so, okay. So, uh, you're 17 when you decide that you're a woman roughly. Yeah. Okay. And did you, did you start medical? Did, were there medical changes that associated? Did you go on hormone replacement therapy? Did you, did you do anything right away? Right away? No, but I begged my parents for it and they were like, absolutely not. No. Um, good, good for them. They may have saved you, uh, <laughs> A little bit doing that, but okay. <laughs> for for a little bit, yeah, for a little bit. But it, I um, I basically sabotaged my uh, college career, believing that it, I wasn't able to succeed because I wasn't on hormones. Wow. Um, um I didn't totally sabotage it. I, I still graduated and, and finished up and everything, and my GPA wasn't that bad. It was just below a three, so not not terrible, but. Did you good. did you start treatment at some point though? When when did when did you start? I started the summer right after I graduated college, so 2019. Okay, and how old were you at that? Just for context, is it like 21 roughly? 22? Yeah, 21. Okay. 21. All right, so you're 21 years old, and you start. I assume the first thing you start is the easy thing, the hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. Um, okay. That's that's all. That's all I ever did was hormone okay. replacement. All right. Well, um, that's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I started it at a time in my life when I was – so in college, college is its whole other story. Um, I, I started uh, living with the cult at the time. Um, I was in um, – it was a, a, a Black Lives – so it started as a Bernie Sanders thing, and then he lost, and it transitioned into something – else they call themselves college progressives and it was basically a black lives matter type thing mostly it was it was staffed by a lot of um by a lot of people of color and it was run mostly by this one very charismatic woman a very narcissistic woman very manipulative um who wanted it to be this like far left anarcho socialist whatever the hell um mm -hmm. but at the center of its analysis was race and everything yeah. else was sort of just ancillary to that and um i i moved in so so i was sort i was in this orbit and i was like preaching the good word in all my classes um and, are you still uh, with your girlfriend at this time just to be clear are you still together yeah we're still together it was okay. it was a it was a uh, long distance situation and that made things worse too in its own ways. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we were still talking every day for, for multiple hours a day. So um, okay. it, that, that, that sort of conditioning remained. Um, but of course being in that, in that cult there, you know, there was no incentive to be a white man at all because you couldn't say anything. No one, no one would talk to you. So being a trans woman was fine. Um, I mean, there were there were a couple straight white guys there, but they were like 
super deferential, but everyone was because there was only like mm. one or two people that were in charge of the whole thing. You really have to prove your worth constantly. There were all these kinds of ideological tests that were hidden in every conversation. Um, there was one incident that I recount, I've recounted before um, where this girl, um, you know, she, she had just turned 21. So she, um, you know, she decided she was going to have like a couple shots in her room and then go out to the bars. But, and she lived with the leader of the cult who was Muslim. And the leader of the cult was like, well, you can't drink alcohol in the common area. You can't leave any alcohol in the common area. And she agreed and that, and she said that was fine, but she left the shot glass in the sink and didn't, didn't wash it. And, uh, this cult leader freaked the hell out. She called a few of her more, most loyal foot soldiers over. And we basically, uh, yelled at this girl through her door until she evicted herself from, from the, from the dorm. On her birthday. Uh, the day after her birthday. <laughs> so uh you're using the word cult is there is there a reason why you're using the word cult and not club or anything else like are there aspects of this i'm missing um so yeah uh at the time that i transitioned like right before i transitioned i was um i was called before a quote-unquote restorative justice hearing over something that never actually happened. They said that I said something racist to a black member of, of, of the group, but they didn't tell me what it was and they didn't tell me who I did it to. Um, and I, and they just sort of like, they gaslit me into believing that I had said something at some point and that I just was making up that I don't remember what it was. Um, and, uh, then, but okay. <laughs> very. And then I found out the actual reason why the hearing was called. And it was because I was kind of a shitty roommate. I was leaving, clothes on the top of the dryer i wasn't like doing dishes i wasn't cleaning the shower you know typical roommate stuff i should have been doing that um i I had run away from home though so i was like it was a it was a bad time and i had warned them it was going to be a bad time i was smoking a lot of weed i wasn't well mentally by any means i should have probably been institutionalized but i wasn't i was afraid to do that i didn't have money to do that um but um so they, they they run off this list of like minor grievances and then they tell me that they want to separate me from the rest of the house with a uh, curtain they they put up a curtain over the back stairwell and told me that the top floors were mine and the bottom floor was for everybody else um at least for the summer cuz most people left during the summer but there were a couple people that wanted to stay and they didn't want to stay with me and they told me uh you know, if you if you uh, follow up with us and you, you, you know, keep us updated on how you're doing, then maybe eventually we can take the curtain away and we can talk things through. And I didn't have anywhere else to live. I didn't have money to move anywhere else. So I was like, OK, sure, sure. And I trusted them, too. I really trusted them. So um, they put up the curtain. And then a couple months after they put up the curtain is when I, I start taking um, hormones. Oh, okay, interesting. So, uh, this really is a self erasure. The hormone I'm seeing the hormones is really a self erasure attempt. Yeah, maybe that's wrong, but okay, no, big time, big time. Yeah. Okay, so how long were you on hormones for? Then, what's the is there a <laughs> is there a happy ending to this? 
story. Yeah. So I, I stopped taking hormones um, this January, actually. Um, so it's a recent. Congrats. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And that um, was, you were on them for how, how long? How many years was that? So from August 2019 to January 2022, about two years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. August 2019. Okay. All right. So you're on for a couple of years and you stopped in January and you uh, no longer identify as a woman. Um, what was the impetus? Why did you, what happened? Why did I detransition? Yeah. Um, so in May of 2021, I, um, well, a little earlier than that. So like right after my birthday, I started to feel like, okay, well I'm trans and I pass and you know, everything's kind of fine, but I felt like something was wrong and I couldn't really explain it. And I was beginning to have a lot of, um, I, I was starting to have a lot of uh, really weird sort of um, emotional issues over fertility. Um, I guess not that weird when you consider that I had sterilized myself, but like, I was, I was like, well, how can I be an actual woman if I can't like have kids you know, how can anyone love me if I, if I can't do that? Um, and, and I, like in my head, I was like, well, you know, I know that I need to do this, you know, for my own health or whatever, for my mental health and, and whatever. Um, but it doesn't really make sense. Cause if I'm so upset about not being able to have kids, then, then why, why would, I do this. And I was, I was starting to get religious again too, because I was living with my grandparents and there were all kinds of icons everywhere. And my my grandma goes to church a lot. And I'd started to fall back into the faith because I needed something to believe in after I had deprogrammed from the cult. And, Mm -hmm. um, I started to question like, why would God make me like this? Like, why would he make it so that I need to live on artificial hormones? How did, how did trans people in the past live without these things, you know? Right. And um, so I start doing some light research. I start going into the RD transforms to see if there are any parallels there. And I scare the hell out of myself because there are many. Um, and then uh, in May of that year, I, I start reading the work of Dr. Ann Lawrence, um, who is a uh, transsexual and, she says that um, she 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 did a lot of work with Ray Blanchard on AGP uh, autogynephilia and and the homosexual transsexual divide and I had heard of autogynephilia before lightly but I sort of discounted it as an explanation for why I was trans because I don't fit the model um, in in a, in a in a lot of different ways I, I didn't really fit there were some ways where i straddled the two and there were other ways where it didn't really make sense to me at all um and then i came into contact can you can you, can you pause yeah. for a second and tell uh tell listeners what you mean what is autogynephilia i mean okay, uh, yeah. i know what you're talking about but i i don't think it's a common household word true so autogynephilia is the uh sexual fetish of uh you know wanting to be a woman in some way and 
the way that so so the original research was done in the in the 80s about the not the original original but when it was when that term specifically was coined um it was in the 80s and there really were only two pools of male um transsexuals there were um the ones that were gay and and very effeminate early on and they transitioned in their late teens early 20s and and that kind of thing and then there were the autogynophiles who usually transition later in life in in mid in uh, in midlife usually um 30s 40s 50s and they were heterosexual before they transitioned and the explanation was that the super effeminate ones are trying to fit into society better without you know because they're non-conforming and whatnot and the other ones are doing it because they have intense sexual desire to become a woman and don't feel relief unless they take drastic measures to get there. Um, now, I don't really believe that that model works. I don't, I, personally, I don't think anybody should transition for any reason. Um, but okay. but in, in the modern times and since, since the 2010s, that model doesn't really fit anymore because the age for everyone transitioning has just declined precipitously. Um, and so for me, you know, I did, I was, I was a little bit effeminate growing up. I wasn't the most masculine kid out there. So I thought, well, I kind of fit HSTS a little bit because I'm also young and, and, and whatnot. But then there were other aspects of it, because especially when I started reading the testimonies in, in Anne Lawrence's book, uh, Men Trapped in Men's Bodies, um, I realized, okay, this is, this is what it is. But it's not the whole story, right? Because I didn't know that that was what was happening. It wasn't I, like there are a lot of... Uh, theories out there about what causes this to happen and, and whatnot and for some people it's porn um there is certainly a lot of that there's a specific kind of porn called sissy hypno porn which literally hypnotizes you and, and makes you think you're a woman but i was never in anything like that i was never that kind of you know but looking back it's pretty clear that my relationship was where a lot of this stuff started to to form um and and a, just a general sort of discomfort with being male made me really want to be a woman. At one point, I had mentioned though that like when I was a kid, I was first exposed to pornography in general at at nine years old, and my first instinct, young. very young, yeah, very young, um, my first instinct was to get into the same position as the woman. Um, so that's not that's not like years and years of porn exposure made me you know instinctually want to do that that was just something i did and and it turns out that that's more a symptom of of uh, autism than of like a paraphilic disorder necessarily and um you know now that i've detransitioned i don't actually have any sort of problem with with autogynephilia at all um, and i'm glad it, it it's passed i don't really mm. think about it but um it's it's sort of latent it's sort of there latently in in a lot of people with autism you see it in some girls too 
is it is it a desire to to be a female or is it a desire to not be male and and whatever's not male is is good i'm trying to separate i'm trying to understand that a little bit more because you said you weren't into the necessarily the um what you what did you call it, the hypnosis stuff like you weren't into that porn so you weren't uh it was was it wasn't a sexual thing for you and it didn't your description doesn't sound like it was particularly sexual there were motivation. sexual elements there were sexual elements of it um i think okay. i i think um i developed an interest in uh, i think i developed the the interest in becoming a woman because i didn't want to be male because uh originally in puberty i was very interested in being with girls and and whatnot but then i had started to get a lot of like rape anxiety like uh you know while having sex with my girlfriend or with other partners that i've had um you know thinking like at even if it's a totally consensual thing and you ask each other over time uh, like a million times like still at the end of it thinking like i've just raped this person uh and that was because of the conditioning and and whatnot so of course yeah. um so the desire to become a woman was for me, it was more borne out from not wanting to be male because I thought male sexuality was evil and, and something worth to, you know, being demonized and something I right. couldn't come to grips with. So, okay, that makes sense. And now, so it sounds like you you had left the cult, but were still um, taking hormones and still uh, identifying as a woman. What was the impetus for leaving the cult? Was there like a waking up period there or was it just you just moved on and left college? No, I got um, I was going to stay there for another year. I was going to stay in that house another year. But then I got a text saying uh, you need to get out so that we can get another roommate. And I was like, OK. And oh, so you I, were kicked out. Basically, I was kicked out. Basically, I um, okay. I spent all my money on um, all the all the savings I had on a different place in the same city. And that situation devolved rapidly because I didn't vet my roommate enough and she ended up bringing in a boyfriend without telling me and he turned out to be a crazy dick. So, um, I, uh, I had to, I begged my grandparents to move in with them and they, and they let me come in. Um, okay. So you're, you're all right. So that makes sense. So now you're living with your grandparents. They're more religious. So you're, you're uh, looking at faith again. Um, and you're reading Dr. Ann Lawrence, um, and you're reading the transition stories. And mm-hmm. what was going through your head? What was the, you know, <laughs> there's got to be some trepidation. Like I, I imagine that when you've gone down a path um, so severely, like so permanently, that there's got to be a lot of fear of, deciding that it was the wrong choice um oh yeah yeah i i went back and forth on it constantly like one week i was like i'm gonna detransition the other week i was like i'm gonna stay transition and back and forth and trying to like trying to make a decision at the time was was impossible but i kept trying to force it um and you know it was I was more scared of feeling the effects of testosterone again than I mm. was of anything else. Um, and so 
so when it came to detransition, that was my biggest fear. But when it came to staying transitioned, I was worried about like, you know, now that I know I'm a man, am I going to act like, am I going to perform femininity the way that I, that I was when I thought that I was a woman and, you know, that mask started to slip. So I was sort of freaking out and especially reminding myself that I was male and not actually a woman was really hard because everybody was, was referring to me like I was a woman and, and I was, right. you know, navigating the world like that. And, and the dissonance was growing and growing and growing. And, but at the same time, I was still afraid. Like, I don't want to feel those feelings again. I don't want to end up like totally depressed and, and, you know, downtrodden and, and everything like that. I don't want to, I don't want to have like that overwhelming libido or that like aggression or assertiveness or that energy. I just, I just don't want to deal with that. Um, and, and I was scared of, of going through puberty basically a third time. Um, right. And what ended up happening was I just towards, towards December, I had, I was starting to have like repeated breakdowns just constantly. And I was in grad school at, the, I had started grad school. So, and that was going well, but, um, I was just, I had a lot of, I had a lot of meltdowns. Some of it was PTSD over like, I can't believe these doctors lied to me and, and everything. And, um, some of it was just like, what do I do? What do I do? Like, I can't merge these two images of myself. And, um, then in January I started smoking cigarettes again, uh, which you're really not supposed to do on estrogen. And I it had, I had started like, you know, I was doing like one a week and then it was two a week and then it was like three a day. And at that point I was like, okay, well I have to make a choice here. Do I quit estrogen or do I quit cigarettes? And I chose cigarettes. I chose to quit estrogen rather. Yeah. You chose to um, keep the cigarette. Um, yeah. I wouldn't often recommend smoking, but if that's the result, I'm all for it. Uh, it's <laughs> Good idea. So, uh, I, I mean, right off the top of my head, how much raping and pillaging have you done since January? Then, are you uh, have you started any wars or uh, you have any bodies in the basement? Oh, you know, plenty. I, I'm a I'm a Good. I'm a Viking essentially. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the club. So, I, let's. I want to. I want to. I, I know. I know we're joking a little bit, but I want to. I want to get into this a little bit because you you said you realize that doctors had lied to you. What was the process? I mean, at this time you were in your early twenties. Um, you, you know, so you're legally, you can decide what to do, what you want to do. What's the process for, you know, when you, does it start with a therapist? Does it start with a family doctor? Like, how do you decide, like, okay, I want to go on hormones. What was that process like? And, and how did the medical establishment treat this uh, decision? Uh, I showed up at a Planned Parenthood clinic. Um, well, I had made an appointment, so I waited, I think I waited like two months only because they had like a massive volume of patients they were seeing. Um, so I waited two months for an appointment. I got into the appointment. Um, I sat there, I filled out a questionnaire. Um, they asked me some questions about my mental health, my physical health, um, and at one point during the interview process, I told them, you know, I'm really depressed. I feel, you know, I, I, I'm really depressed. I'm really anxious. I feel like I can't go outside. I feel like this is, you know, this is really bad. I think hormones are really going to help me. And they say, well, that's a sign that you're really trans. 
Um, and um, so I, I, I'm, th- I'm there for 45 minutes total and they prescribe um, both uh, testosterone blockers and estrogen um, within wow. 45 minutes. Yeah. 45 minutes. Yeah. I've had to wait at my doctor's office longer than 45 minutes. Yeah. Damn. It was all right. And then I waited two weeks for the prescription to fill and that was it. Wow. Okay. Um, so not a lot of double checking or like, Hey, maybe you should talk to a therapist. None of that. Um, they, uh, they gave me a list of therapists to contact, but I couldn't, I tried to contact them. I couldn't get into any of them, um, because there were too many patients or because they didn't take, um, the insurance I was on. Um, and I didn't have the money to just, you know, pay out of pocket for it. I did see a psychologist. Um, and the only reason that I saw her was to see if I could get an autism diagnosis because I had suspected that that was the problem for some time, but I didn't, I, I still hadn't connected that maybe this is why I had like gender issues too. Um, but I got the diagnosis and that cost like $700 or something. And then I was, I was flat broke and I didn't see anybody for a while. Um, and then I spent some time in a, in a hospital, um, around Christmas 2020, like no 2019. So Christmas 2019. Okay. Then I was in an outpatient program for a bit. Um, I was, I was really unwell. I was, I was like hallucinating delusional psycho, like actual episodes of psychosis. Um, well, this is when you're on a hormone replacement replacement therapy at this point, right? Cause I think you said August, 2019 is when you started. Yeah. But uh-huh. I think I, I left that part out where I was, um, even prior to hormones, I was, I was very unwell. It was because of the marijuana. I was, I was having hallucinations and psychosis. Okay. Um, very, very severe, um, episodes and a lot of OCD tendencies too, like thinking the world's going to blow up if I don't do X, Y, Z in a certain order. So. Okay. Okay. So definitely the kind of thing that I, I think we would say, hey, maybe maybe a therapist is the right route and it could be a long – you're in for a long haul. Um, yeah. All right. Probably, so yeah, go ahead. So the, the other thing though, I had a therapist too after, like during outpatient, after outpatient. Uh, I was doing trauma work with her. I was doing EMDR therapy, which is a kind of exposure therapy for PTSD. And she didn't question – the gender thing, right? She said it was out of, out of her uh, understanding of what it was. Every therapist that I came into contact with, most of them weren't gender therapists. They were just normal therapists, but they, they affirmed and all they could do was affirm. Well, I mean, if they Um, don't affirm, they they get themselves in trouble, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's no, there were no breaks on that train. And you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but was there, was there an event that this PTSD, like, why were they treating you for PTSD? Like there, was there a particular event or they just were grasping at straws? Um, I, uh, I, I had started reading a book called, uh, CPTSD from surviving to thriving by, uh, Pete Walker. And, uh, it, it, CPTSD is different from regular PTSD. Um, the C stands for complex, and it's, okay. um, it's so normal PTSD is, is one big event. 
and and you have to like recover from that cptsd is from many minor events over an extended period of time um okay. and so i was seeing treatment both for some of the bullying that happened as a kid and then also the uh, abuse that i i experienced while i was part of the cult okay okay that that makes sense so so cpsd is a distinct thing i hadn't heard of it okay um so now let's fast, fast forward you've um you know in january you stopped uh hormone replacement therapy do you just stop by the way or is there like a separate regimen of drugs that help you get back to your normal uh you know hormone levels or is it just a cold turkey you just stop taking them i just stopped taking them i just stopped okay. taking them i i tried okay. to uh, you know they told me i should wean off of it but they didn't tell me how they didn't know how um okay they they were just like you gotta just you just figure it out however you feel you know that that very like very scientific sort of, like, yeah, extremely yeah. extremely i felt i felt like i was in uh you know top level care there but um so I just I just cold turkeyed it. I just had to like Google really quick, like is this going to give me a stroke or something? And it turns out no. Plenty of people cold, quit cold turkey and nothing happens to them. So I just okay. I just quit cold turkey. Um, yeah. So I, I want to get into to something else because on this channel sometimes we talk about the relationship between bad philosophical ideas, which can be used as rationalizations for psychologically dysfunctional behavior and psychological dysfunction itself and its role in the development and promulgation of bad philosophical ideas. There's kind of a feedback loop. They redound upon one another. And I've noticed like I, you are you when you write about your Tumblr days and that whole experience, um, you've clearly spent some time studying philosophy. I think you're in grad school now, right? Can you tell us mm -hmm. what you major in? What are you doing in grad school now? And what was your motivation for whatever it is you're studying? Um, so I majored in um, in sociology. And uh, I'm currently in grad school for education. I'm trying to be a, a high school history teacher. Okay. Um, my uh, my interest in, in what I studied was because I've always had this interest in, in history. And I... I spent some time floating between a bunch of different academic departments and trying to figure out like, okay, which one attempts to develop a mechanistic explanation for the development of history. Cause I could tell like, okay, these events are happening and blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to understand why they happened and, and right. sort of in, in a, in a fit schema, I guess. And um, I, I, I ended up in the sociology department and part because of my own political influences and the influences of the department, they were, they were very, very woke and I was very woke as well. Um, but, uh, I can't say I didn't learn something there cause I, I did read a lot of the philosophy. I read a lot of stuff about prisons and about revolutions and, and, um, you know, how China has been developing and, and that kind of thing. So, so Foucault, uh, Foucault and, and, uh, Derrida and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It sounds like, okay. Um, all right. So you, you, in sociology, the, I, I guess you're, you're learning some of the philosophy. Did you at the time relate it back to 
oh, this is what I was seeing on Tumblr, or did, does it did it was it only like ex post facto that you looked back and said, wait a minute, these are they're applying some of these ideas. That's what was happening at the time. It was. Um, I thought. <laughs> I. I, I was hmm. while I was reading these things, I I knew that Tumblr was you know part of it. You know, I, I okay. but I thought that these ideas were good. Is the right. thing now? Okay. Now I realize you know is bad. But I thought that they were good. I thought they were useful critiques of what I saw as a very dysfunctional society, but they weren't and they were really a political project for bringing those quote unquote critiques into reality just super totalitarian nonsense that comes from Foucault and Sartre and right. those types definitely some Marcuse so. in there as well so let's uh I, I guess when you there's there's kind of a debate among uh it's a it's a minor debate but there's debate a debate among the people who uh, complain about woke ideology, myself included, um, about whether it's more postmodernism or more critical theory. What did you see? What, where would you fall on that debate in Tumblr? Like when you just looking at Tumblr, like is this the application of postmodernism or is this is this critical theory, critical gender theory, critical race theory, that kind of stuff? Um, I don't think the two can really be separated. If I'm being honest, I think, I think that's I think a great answer. Really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's both. It's both. It's a lot of the whole oppressor oppressed dynamic, but it's also a lot of breakdown, all the boundaries and all everything can be critiqued and even reality is fake and that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. So let's, uh, I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but I do want to talk about just a couple other things. First of all, your, your, um, Substack is I believe it translates according to your about page. It translates to holding hands with ghosts. Um, can you tell people why that's the translation? What 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 you mean by holding hands with ghosts? Um. So most of my most of this whole transgender experience for me uh, was enabled and really like came into existence because of my time online. And even when I was in this uh, milieu, I was beginning to, re I had recognized like, this is a very, like these platforms are very powerful um, ideological enforcement mechanisms. And like, I was floating around all these different ideologies and making connections with all these people that even though they were very likely real people behind the keyboard, all I'm getting from them is, is avatars and text and images. And I'm not seeing anybody and I'm not actually talking to them face to face. And I don't actually have a connection with them. It's just whatever they're projecting out at me but not actually at me, but at a projection of me that I'm also projecting outward. And, um, and, and, you know, the ideologies that they hold are, are that way too, because they're kind of like skin suits. Cause some of these people are, were, um, you know, they, they hold, they believe in ideologies that haven't 
had any sort of real the you know real world analog in in a very long time um so i mm-hmm. i was in, in 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 one particular episode i was like super into the uh, spanish anarchists for a while um Dang. but there are no spanish anarchists now you know the, the cnt has been gone for decades you know it's almost a century right. now and um and so i i, I chose um the word the word uh strigoi which i translate to ghosts it, it's more than a ghost in romanian folklore um it's sometimes it's a zombie sometimes it's a vampire sometimes it's a restless spirit um but whether it's you know the you know the zombie aspect is is that it's a, a living corpse right it's it's it looks like it's a human, but it's it's not. It lacks those internal attributes that make it a human. It doesn't have a consciousness. The vampire, because it sucks all your attention and all your time and, and drains you of your life force. And then the ghost is just because it's everyone's hollow. Everyone's there's no one flesh and blood to see or talk to. And and all of my experiences with this transgender stuff that's that's what it amounts to is i am holding hands with these ghosts i am i am talking to these people that aren't fully people i am um i am barely fully a human myself when i'm on here and yeah i i just i really like that metaphor of just why i wanted you to describe it because i think uh it it's uh it's a beautiful metaphor and it's 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 uh it's poetic so um can you maybe tell people where you you were a so you've gone from being a uh, trans woman communist I believe based on what I've read you can correct me if I'm wrong but trans woman at least Marxist communist to where are you now how would you describe your your views? Uh, I I sort of wouldn't I guess it's it's hard. Okay. Um, I still, so I, I have hung on to Marx, but, but OG Marx. I don't, I, I don't tend to, ador- I don't do the Adorno stuff. I don't do the Marcuse stuff. Okay. There's some parts of Lenin, I guess, descriptions of the state and, and theories of revolution and whatnot that, that might be useful in a historical context. Um, but I stuck. I've stuck with Marx. I've stuck with the, not with the oppressor oppressed type dynamic, but with his explanation of capital overall, and and his description of the political networks within capital have really helped me to see, um, you know, even just the part that I, even just the cult that I was a part of, like understand its position within this larger structure as as a as a microcosm of a microcosm of the academy um okay and, and and you know how the academy is funded and who's funding this and who's funding that and that kind of thing and um but i don't believe in you know i don't believe in communism as a historical destiny or anything i don't think that i'm a communist um i'm a i'm i fully cop to being a petite bourgeois manager as as a teacher (laughs) or as a student so i have no place within that sort of you know 
world historical struggle other than as as an enemy of the working class um (laughs) so i don't you know I, i i don't necessarily take all that to heart um and and i try not to i try to i try to stick to to what i know to be real um and you know that's that's iffy um I, I guess I'm I'm sort of a liberal that wishes I was I weren't one. I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I, I stick. I, I'm I'm definitely anti woke though. <laughs> yeah. No. I I uh, I mean I think it's in your position. Uh, I, I well, and in many people's position, I think it's completely reasonable to be a little bit lost, especially right now when the the options being presented are all pretty horrible. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I, so you're you're rejecting the Frankfurt School stuff, going back to some OG marks, but you're petite bourgeois, so uh, yeah, I don't so know, on course. the wrong side, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, um, you know, there's I, I forgot there's one more thing I want to talk about before I let you go. I'm sorry, I know it's been it's been a while, but if you've got time, can I ask you about one other concept you brought up? Absolutely. Um, you talk about. Uh, you talk about dissociative identity disorder as acquired internet identity disorder, which I think is uh, kind of a, a cool and funny way to describe it. Can you can you describe what you're talking about, where you saw it, and why this is how you view this disorder? All right. So there was some discourse about it um, a couple months ago. And um, and I wrote about it on Substack, which I'm assuming is where you pulled it from. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And um, so so it came. So that particular wave of discourse about it came from videos that were popping up on TikTok of um, people in their teens and early twenties claiming to have multiple personalities. And, and believing themselves to be like 30 different people at once or shape shifting between all of them and having a million gender identities or racial identities or various uh, mental illnesses attached to them. Um, and the first time I had actually come across that was also on Tumblr. That, that was also something that was very big on Tumblr, but you didn't see it in its raw form because Tumblr is a text platform. And TikTok is not. So you really see the depths of the mental illness there. Um, But the actual diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder in in the DSM handbook, it doesn't appear the way that these people are portraying it. If it exists at all, which there's some debate about whether it does or not, um, it has to happen through like repeated and very severe child abuse that like takes place over the course of, of decade. Like, and you have to have like severe isolation and, and things like that. You have to literally be like a POW as a child essentially uh, okay. for it to appear at all. And the theory is that the brain um, like splits its personalities so that only one part of it is experiencing any of the abuse and the core personality sort of remains intact. Um, and you know, that's the dissociative. Do you end up part. with like a Jekyll and Hyde then where one personality is kind of relatively normal and the other one is, uh, you know, dysfunctional in some way. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly that's how it happens. Okay. Um, and, um, 
you know, there are only like a couple cases where that is even plausible to be a thing. But the, the core difference between this and what is portrayed on TikTok and Tumblr is that um, the core personality is not aware of any other personalities. So like when you're when you shift between the different identities, like you don't actually know that it's happening. Um and you aren't aware that you are anyone else but yourself. Um, but the way that these people on TikTok do it, the way that these people on Tumblr do it, it's it's for attention. So they, they make a big show like I'm a system, my pronouns are we and and I have, you know, I know exactly how many personalities I have and these are all their favorite colors and that kind of thing. So um yeah. and I and I label it acquired um acquired internet identity disorder because it spreads like a social contagion, just like transgenderism does. Um, and there are actually a lot of uh, parallels to it, in part because everybody that has DID also claims to have at least one trans identity. Um, and it, like for me, like I definitely for a while, it felt like there were two different people battling it out in my brain. One of them totally constructed, obviously, but the other, but still felt very real because. I was sort of inhabiting it for a while and, but I was aware of it, you know, so I was aware of it. It was this artificial construct that I had made this self image, this sort of narcissistic projection um, that, that I was trying to kill off or was trying to kill off the other part of me, but couldn't cause I wasn't really a woman. So, um, right. Yeah. So, uh, so these other people that have the multiple personalities, like they make it their, thing you know like that's that's the thing that sets them apart from other people and they're sucking up the information about it from other people who claim to have did the same way that i sucked up information about transgenderism from other people who were who you know claim transgenderism right Um, and so i think the internet itself makes that like all the social media platforms they make that more likely because um a lot of what I went through is synonymous with like narcissistic personality issues or borderline personality disorder. And um, there, there are a lot of parallels there and that does tend to come up a lot with people who have complex PTSD. Um, And you see those sort of same trends with these people with DID and, you know, having been online for as long as I have and and knowing how it's affected my development as, as a teenager, like, a lot of my more like cluster B ish symptoms, like those, the, the borderline mm-hmm. traits or the narcissistic traits can be traced to how I interacted with other people online and how they interacted with me, the sort of mobbing and the, and the bullying and the, you know, and all of it just sort of taking place in this abstract realm of emotions without any sort of physical components to it at all. Um, so it's very heightened and it's very, you know, and all these platforms are designed for engagement too. So the angrier you are, the more likely you are to stay on it and and that kind of thing. So I call it that because it sort of does encourage the splitting. Um, you have different parts of yourself that you're mostly developing or spending a lot of time with online and you're not able to really reconcile them into one single person because they're broken up into these different pages and some of the pages are very some of the communities are very toxic and some of them are are not and you get a lot of validation for it and 
you know, the more validation you get for having multiple disorders, the more you're going to believe you actually have them. So, or right. multiple personalities. I, I don't, I don't know what I just said there, but yeah. No, I think, I think it makes sense. I mean, we've talked on, on unsafe space before about the, uh, epidemic of cluster B, uh, traits that are pretty widespread. I think, I think a lot of the internet, a lot of the, um, tools that we use to interact on the internet actually reward a lot of cluster B behavior, um, which certainly, uh, probably doesn't help to heal people who have tendencies to behave in that way. Uh, it probably just helps, uh, uh, helps them come into their own as, as a manifestation of whatever cluster B, uh, traits they've got. So, yeah, I think, yeah. I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. Well, um, look, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I, I really encourage people to check out your Substack, uh, which is Strigoi. Am I saying that correctly? Mm-hmm. Strigoi, S-T-R-I-G-O-I dot Substack dot com. Uh, and, uh, and read what you've, you've got to say about this. And you can follow, um, you can follow Limpida. Am I saying that? I'm sorry. I'm, I, <laughs> I want to say your name correctly, You're but good. it's Romanian and I'm failing. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, at American Dog ninety eight is your your Twitter handle. So, um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. And uh, congrats on your uh, kind of emerging from, uh, I think maybe a mental prison. And uh, I hope that your your journey from this point forward gets uh, easier and more more sane. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed the interview. If you're a similarly aged male who went the other direction in response to the the Tumblr nonsense, and by that I mean if you went the the incel right-wing route, I would love to hear from you as well. So please reach out to us, and and maybe we can share your story on on this series as well. So thank you for watching this episode of Free Association. As always, thank you for supporting Unsafe Space. Until next time, take care. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production may be Russian propaganda. The following individuals are suspected of questioning one or more official narratives. Experts agree that there is an epidemic of sexually uninformed five-year-olds, and Florida is the cause. Here's an idea, why not stop complaining, and buy a Tesla? I'm sorry, there is no record of a COVID pandemic. You must be mistaken. 
If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.